Welcome to Bold Faith with Courage Molina, a place where you get empowered and equipped to be who God has called you to be, do what God has called you to do, and go after everything he said you can have without hesitation or apology. Let's go. All right, let's get into this week's sermon. Good morning, good morning. Come on in as you come in. Be sure to uh, drop in the chat where you are tuning in from. It is your girl, Pastor Courage Molina of Bold Faith Community Church. Bold Faith Community Church is an online where women are falling in love with being in the word of God. It is a place where we can develop our relationship with Christ and start to, you know, do the work he's called us to do. If this is your first time here, welcome, welcome. So excited to see you. Now, listen, if you already know that this is about to be fire, go ahead and do me a favor and hit the like button. When you guys like, share, and subscribe, you help other amazing women to find us. And we are here not just on Saturday mornings, 8 a.m. EST for church, but we're also here Monday through Friday. 7 a.m. EST for Bible reading. So if you are about building a relationship with Christ through his word, then you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button. All right, be sure to share. Now, since I'm saying I want you to share this video, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do that. So just for the next 30 seconds, if you would just share, share, share. Don't even think about who you could share it with. Just hit that share button and share it maybe on your social media, um, share it in your group chat, in your group family text message, whatever. Go ahead and take some time to share it now. gave you some time to share, share, share this video. We are a Bible studying church. And so what that means is every week we are strategically going from one chapter of the book of Acts to the next. This week, I'm going to share from Acts chapter 21. So you can go ahead and get your Bible if you don't have it out yet. It also means that, um, the next time we come together, I will be teaching from Acts chapter 22. Now you notice how I didn't say next week. Do you know what's happening next weekend? <laughs> so excited. Do you know what's exciting thing is happening next weekend? It is our second annual Faith Ignited Retreat. So excited to be in Greensboro, been waiting for this. Can't wait to get into the room with the amazing women who have decided um, to put themselves in the room. I know that God is going to show up in a new way. He's going to reveal himself in a new way there. And I could not be more excited. So we won't be here next week, but the following week will be with X chapter 22. So if you want to know how you can be a part of Bold Faith Community Church what does it mean to be a member here? Honestly, um, members show up 
So that means you're here on Saturday morning with us at 8 a.m. Um, you can do so from any place that you have access to the internet, whether it's through YouTube. We're also streaming on all of our Facebook pages. Um, so that's one way. That's the first thing that you do. The other thing is you take the time to get into the word of God for yourself. That's why I say we are a Bible studying church. You can go to boldfaithchurch.org to get a Bible study guide if you don't have one. If you don't have a method by which you study your Bible, you certainly want to get one so we can study to show ourselves approved. And another thing you can do as a member is our members give. So our members show up, they study, they give, and they serve as they have the opportunity to do so. So you can go and give your tithes and offering at boldfaithchurch.org. It's a great way to set up reoccurring giving. You can even be a partner with the church. Maybe you have a Sunday church, but you love the work that we're doing here and you want to help us reach more women for Christ. You can set up a partnership giving through boldfaithchurch.org as well. All right, I'm ready to get into it. Okay, I see y'all. I'm getting over something. I don't know if y'all remember that from last week. I, I feel better. I feel like I sound worse, but I feel better. So um, let's get into it. I am going to be reading Acts chapter 21, <coughs> excuse me, from the NIV. All right, from the NIV. So let's get to that. I'll give you a little time when you, when you are there. Uh, drop an amen in the chat when you're there. Drop an amen in the chat. I want to get a couple of amens before I start reading. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21. That's what I'll be reading from. Drop an amen when you're ready. It's so important when you are in church and somebody's going to be teaching or preaching something to you that you have paper and pencil ready to write down. Maybe if they drop a couple Bible verses that you can look up, you can check. You need to vet people. Don't just be out here listening to everybody. You need to have your Bible open so that as they're reading and explaining it, you can one, learn how to interpret the word for yourself. And two, you can make sure that what they're saying is actually written in the book. Okay. All right. I'm, I ain't going to say nothing else. I'm going to let that go. Okay. Let's get into it. Chapter 21 NIV. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt 
tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Verse 17, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law? They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the man and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people in our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what had he done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, 
he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, this is chapter 22, verse 1, brothers and sisters, he's, I'm sorry, let me go back one more verse. Uh, verse 40, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, that's where it stops. The next session about what he says to them is in chapter 22. So that's it for chapter 21. Amen. Now let's really get into it. Let's look back at this. Um, let me get my pages together. So... How did we get here to this? In case you weren't here last week, really super short um, recap. Paul and his boys, there were seven of them plus Luke. Um, they were all traveling from place to place on their way to Jerusalem because Paul had already decided that um, he was going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit was leading him there. And they had just left Midas, at, at left Miletus as chapter 21 starts. They had just left Miletus where they would never see Paul again. The people would never see Paul. He was there with them. He met with the Ephesians. Y'all remember Eutychus? It's where the boy fell out. No, that's what happened. And so now they are making a beeline to Jerusalem. And he wants to make sure that he makes it there by Pentecost. So he goes from Kost to Rhodes, Patera to Phoenicia, goes past Cyprus, Syria, and lands entire. We can see that Paul is not playing. He wants to get from one place to another. He did not choose a ship that would be making a bunch of stops. He ch That would be making a bunch of um, port stops, like stopping into a port for a couple days. So the ship that, he's, that he chose was one that would be taking him the most direct route that he could get to get him as close to Jerusalem as he could. So there might have been... Um, it might take like a day to get from city to city, right? From Kost to Rhodes, and then maybe another day to get to Patra, and then another to get to Phoenicia, passing Cyprus, going to Syria, and then landing in Tyre. It might have been a day at sea from spot to spot, but he did not get on a boat where they were going to be setting up camp. So now they're in Tyre, and it says they stay there for seven days. The reason they stay there for seven days is because this is where the ship is going to unload their cargo, and it's going to take them about a week to do that. They, he didn't just all of a sudden decide to take a week's vacation. We already know Paul's got somewhere to go. And so when he gets there, he's never been to Tyre. This is not a place where he set up a church. But due to the persecution early on after Pentecost, People split. We know this, right? The persecution caused the believers to go into different cities. And in those cities, that helped the spreading of the gospel because then they were setting up like house churches. People were coming together. This city was like that. So he already knew there were other believers there. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And so now he's meeting with these disciples. He's meeting with them. And we're calling them disciples, but really these are believers. Can I just make a side note here real quick? I think it's interesting that believers was at one point synonymous with disciples, but it is now possible for us to be a believer in Christ and yet not a disciple of his word, his way, his life, and his teaching. I'm going to say that again. I think it's a sad thing um, that there used to be a time where believers, brothers and sisters, and disciples, those words could be used synonymously, right? Because if you were a believer, it meant you were a disciple. Now you can be a believer in Christ and the work that he's done and still not disciple fashion and model your life after the word of God. A disciple is a student of a thing, is a student of a person, not just a student of what the teacher or the rabbi, you know, John the Baptist had disciples. There were other rabbis, Jewish leaders that also had disciples. That was a way of life. But as a disciple, what it meant to be a disciple of another person meant that I followed their teachings because they had some type of way that they taught. I followed their teachings. And it also meant that I modeled my life after how they lived their life as well. The example that they set. That's how I lived my lifestyle. So to be a disciple of Christ, to be a disciple of the way, meant that they were studying, right? They had the Old Testament. It meant that they were studying. They were learning from whoever was teaching them, where it was a disciple of Paul, they were learning from the teachings of Christ and modeling their life after those teachings. You are not a believer without first being a disciple. It seems like we've kind of gotten away from that, but that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to the text. And so he's there with the disciples. They're there with the disciples for um, seven days. And while they're there with the disciples, um, they find by the spirit of God or they're using the spirit of God to kind of convince him, trying to get him not to go on to Jerusalem. Let's see. Um, it is in verse four, chapter 21, verse four. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days through the spirit. They urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. This is the spirit of God through the spirit of God. They're trying to urge Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, which could make us wonder if Paul's decision to continue to go on to Jerusalem is one that was going against what the spirit of God wanted him to do. If it was one where he was being defiant, if it was something that he hadn't even um, talked to God about, <clears throat> but we know that can't be true. Why? Because Paul previously said it was the Holy Spirit that was leading him to Jerusalem. And while he did not know what lay ahead of him at every single city, the Holy Spirit was revealing to him that there was going to be imprisonment and hardship um, in his future. Right. So how then can these two things be true? This is why it is so important to find yourself a Bible, not just Bible based but Bible teaching church. If this ain't your home, maybe it should be. But if not, man, find something that is a Bible teaching church. Because at first glance, this can look contradictory without understanding the context. So Paul, on one hand, is saying the Holy Spirit is leading him to Jerusalem. Here we see the disciples saying by the Holy Spirit, 
through the Holy Spirit, they're trying to urge him not to go to Jerusalem. So which one is the Holy Spirit really talking to? If the Holy Spirit is leading Paul to Jerusalem, then how can the Holy Spirit also be trying to get the disciples to urge Paul not to go to the very place the Holy Spirit is driving him to go? Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, what's happening here is the Holy Spirit is revealing to the disciples as he has revealed to Paul what lies ahead for Paul. That's where there seems to be a contradiction here. The Holy Spirit is not instructing them to urge Paul not to go. The Holy Spirit is revealing to them what lies ahead for Paul. They take that to mean, oh, you shouldn't go forward. This reminds me of Jesus, right? Jesus is teaching his disciples what is going to happen. This is what is going to happen to me. And Peter says, no, not you. It'll never happen. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not thinking of the things of God, right? Jesus himself was telling them the trouble that he would face. And because they didn't want him to experience the pain, they didn't want him to die. They didn't, they wanted to avoid all the discomfort, all the struggle, all of the problems that Jesus was saying he was gonna face. That's why they were urging him not to go, not to do it. The same is true here. The Spirit of God has already told Paul and is leading Paul to Jerusalem. So he's following it. Now that the Holy Spirit is revealing it to the disciples, it's not a contradictory thing, but because of their love for Paul, right? And it's not their call. People can't, this is a little side note, people can't always understand the commitment for you to face the things that you have to face, for you to endure the things that you have to endure because the Spirit of the Lord is not upon them for the call that's on your life. You understand? Some of you have a call on your life and because of that call, because of that purpose, there is also some pain attached to that. There's some pain attached to that purpose and there's some pain attached to that promise, but you are committed because you are anointed for that assignment. You have, a, you have an anointing for the assignment. You have an increased capacity for the pain. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so since they can see that Paul is about to go through hell, they don't want their friend to go through hell. They are saying the Holy Spirit has revealed that these horrible things are going to happen. Don't go. Don't do it. But Paul could not be dissuaded. And so they were like, okay, well, let the will of the Lord be done then. If you ain't going to listen to us, we're going to let the will of the Lord be done. Men, wives, and children, whole family, accompany Paul outside the city. They go outside the city they're in and they, they get to the beach and they kneel down and they all pray together. Paul and his companions now get back on the boat. They go from Tyre to, to uh, Ptolemy to Caesarea. And then when they get to Caesarea, they um, meet up with Philip and they stay with Philip the evangelist. Now they stay there. <laughs> they stay there for a little bit, but you got to remember there's a clock running down 
it's not just that Paul needs to hurry up and get to Jerusalem. He wants to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost because he wants to be able to show real life in person his the doctrine that he's been teaching. One of the pieces of doctrine that Paul has been preaching and teaching the whole time is this unity between the Gentiles and the Jews, right? He's been preaching and teaching this unity for the Gentiles and the Jews. And so by taking these donations from these churches and getting there, timing it so that he gets there at the time of Pentecost, which is a time of celebration and remembrance of God's provision. And understand the church in Jerusalem is going through a famine. They're going, they're going through a very difficult time. They're struggling over there financially. They're going through some serious hardships. Okay. Paul wants there to be a real life example. Like we live this experience where there was unity between the Gentiles and the Jews. So he's kind of got a timestamp. He's got a due date. He's got a deadline. He doesn't have time to wait, but he stays with Philip for just a couple days. We know he doesn't stay there for too long because we know he's got somewhere to go. Now, Philip is the evangelist and he is described as one of the seven. If you've been with us, you know, we've been studying the entire book. Um, I think it's in chapter eight. You can Google it if I'm wrong. It's okay. That's why you should have your own Bible. You know what I'm saying? But I think it's in chapter eight where Philip um, is assigned as one of the seven. You remember, maybe you guys don't remember this, but when they first started out, they got to the city and there was a group of uh, widows who weren't getting fairly treated in the distribution of food. So the widows were coming to the men who organized the elders of the church and they were, they were getting discriminated against. There was a certain group, maybe it was a Gentile group or a Greek group. I don't actually remember, but it was a group who felt like, okay, our widows are not getting treated fairly in the distribution of food. So they took this to Peter and them. And Peter was like, why should we stop the good work? to be serving food. We're not about to do that. What we will do though, is we will choose, we will choose men. Let us choose seven leaders. And those leaders need to be men who are, who have, who know the Lord, who have a reputation of being wise and, and holy and righteous and that kind of thing. So it didn't just need to be that they were that way. People need to also have seen them being that way out in the community. Some of y'all are good people, but don't nobody know it. I ain't, I ain't even got time. I ain't even got time to mess with y'all today. Some of y'all know the word. Some of you could lead ministry and don't nobody know the wisdom that you possess. And you want to know why you're getting passed up for certain things, why things ain't, you know, you, I don't understand why I'm getting passed up. You refuse to present your gifts. You continue to downplay your gifts. And if you are downplaying your character and your gifts, why should anybody else take a bet on you? I know I digress, but that was one of the qualifications. Not just that they were, um, not just that they were respectable, not just that they knew the word, not just that they were following and living in a respectable and honorable manner, but they had a reputation that reflected that as well. That that's what they were known for. That means that somebody had to see them. Somebody outside the household had to see that they had this reputation. And those that's how the men were chosen. Well, Philip was among those seven. I don't know if you guys remember, but Stephen, our first martyr, he was also among that seven. This is the Philip whose house they stayed at. He was an evangelist. Um, he had four unmarried daughters with the gift of prophecy, which... Coincidentally enough, 
they did not give a prophetic word to Paul. Not sure if it was a decision to remain silent. Not sure if the describing them as being unmarried women um, gave to some other cultural understanding that maybe as unmarried women who could prophesy, maybe they were not, maybe they were unable or they were prevented from prophesying. Really don't know here. The text here isn't clear, but they had the gift of prophecy. While they stayed there with Philip and his girls, Agabus, a prophet from Judea, Agabus 15 years ago was the one who had predicted the famine, the difficulty in Jerusalem. So we already know that if he says something about to go down, it's going to go down. He is a reputable prophet. We know that his prophecy is true. We've seen him. We know who he is. So Agabus, the prophet, comes. He sees Paul. He walks up to Paul. He takes the belt, and he binds his own hands and feet. Kind of dramatic, but definitely illustrates the point, not just to Paul, but to everyone else. Um, and he says what the Holy Spirit has told him, that this is what's going to happen to, to the owner of this belt. What's going to happen to the person who owns this belt is this, told to me by the Holy Spirit. They are The Jews are going to hand you over to the Gentile. This was confirmation for Paul because he already knew imprisonment was his portion. And so again, <coughs> excuse me, again, they pleaded. This includes Luke as well. Luke, the author of the book of Acts. He said, we pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He was like, why y'all trying to hold me up? Why y'all trying to break my heart? Paul responds to them like, hey, I'm prepared. I'm ready. Whatever comes what may, I am ready. I'm prepared for imprisonment. I'm prepared to go to prison. I'm prepared to be beaten. I'm prepared even up into death, even to the, I am prepared to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were like, okay, you know, we, I guess we're going to have to stand behind you. And they continued on their way to Jerusalem. We continue to see this, this um, character trait about Paul. My dude is committed. He is determined. His, he is consistent in his commitment to the assignment on his life, regardless of what pain, problems, prison awaits him. He is about that life, whatever it takes. Some of us, we... I got time. Some of us, there is something that we are praying for, that we are believing God for. There's an assignment. There was a time where you were sitting in your little closet, praying and wishing you had a husband. Now you got one. Now you don't want to put up with him. Come on. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying what it is. It's we let commitment. We, you see how I included myself? We let commitment. We're not always as committed. If it's going to take all of that, I don't want it. If in order for me to um, start a ministry, I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z. I don't want it. If in order for me to have the health that I want to have, I'm going to have to give up this. 
I don't want it. If I'm going to have to sacrifice some comfort in order, some temporary comfort right now in order to get my finances in order so I can be the head and not the tail, so I can be the lender and not the bar. If I got to go without, if I got to turn some things down, I'm going to go without. I don't, I don't want to do it. I just changed my mind. I don't want to do it. But we can see that Paul is like, there is a call on my life. There is a, there's an assignment. There's something that I've been assigned to do. And I know not only is the Holy Spirit telling me, the Holy Spirit is telling anybody who will listen what it is I have to face. He's not embarrassed. Come on. Sometimes the enemy will try to embarrass you with the struggle that you are. He's my dude is not embarrassed. He don't care that everybody know he about to go to jail. He don't care that everybody know he might die because of his yes to the call on his life. He's not moved by that. We can consistently see this characteristic of Paul all throughout Acts. We've seen it time and time again. He got stoned. He got up and he got right back to it. Some of you didn't get stoned. You just got the silent treatment and now you, you ain't doing it no more. Some of you, you did something, but you ain't get enough likes, so now you ain't doing it no more. Some of you, you put yourself out there, but nobody bought it. You launched a program and nobody signed up. You launched a ministry and you only got two people showing up. Some of you started something. You didn't really have any real pain. You had no real struggle. You just didn't get the outcome. You thought you were going to get, you wanted to get immediately, and you have packed up your things and gone back. You're not even doing what you prayed and asked God. You asked the Lord to use you. Now he wants to use you in that family he planted you in. Now he wants to use you in that marriage. Now he wants to use you in that ministry. Now he wants to use you in the marketplace. And because you are experiencing some discomfort, you are ready to pack it up. You believe that the discomfort and the way people are talking about you, the way people are looking at you, they feel so sad for you for what you're going through and what you're dealing with and the fact that you ain't got no money and all of these things. People are looking at you. You're taking that to mean that God is done with you, that he's changed his mind about you, that you no longer have the anointing on your life to do the thing he's called you to do. That's not it. It's just because you're not as tough as you thought. This is what commitment looks like. So Paul arrives in Jerusalem, and as they arrive in Jerusalem, they go to see James. Now, this is Jesus' brother. They say things like half-brother, but as a black girl from America, from a blended family, I never called any of my siblings half. I, I don't know that Jesus would have necessarily used that terminology, um, you know, but that's his half brother this james this is jesus brother okay he's also the author of the book of james right the book where it talks about really uh faith what faith in action looks like if you haven't studied that it's a good one to study so he goes to see james who's in charge of the church in jerusalem um and he uh, he goes to james house the elders are there they go there and he's sharing with the elders in jerusalem um, what God has done for the Gentiles through him. He's telling them, oh, we went here, and then the Lord did this, and this is how many people came to know Christ. And then we went here, and I spoke about this. And then we did get, I did get drugged a little bit. It is one time, and I almost got arrested another time. And da, 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 da. this is what the Lord did through me, through him, through this ministry. And they praise God. Right, they're so excited. They praise God, and then they start to share. 
They share with him what's going on. They're telling him about these rumors. Now, listen, there are a lot of Ju Judaizers, Judaizers. Mm. There are a lot of Jews, right, who are believers of Christ, but they don't think that you can just, you know, ignore the law. They feel like in order for you to come to know Christ, you have to first uh, become Jewish, essentially, right? Which means that salvation is only for the Jews. That's what that would mean. If you have to convert in order to accept Christ, it means that uh, salvation is only available through the Jews for the Jews. And obviously, we know that's not what Paul is teaching. But because people are angry about what he's teaching and they can see that people are losing power. There are Jewish leaders who are losing power and, and they're concerned about their power. They're concerned about whatever. They're not really concerned about the hearts of the people, but they're concerned about their power. These people are just absolutely making up lies. It's like an exaggeration, right? It doesn't start from something that never existed. Paul did teach and say, you didn't have to get circumcised, but that was his teaching for the Gentiles. He never told the Jews they didn't have to get circumcised. He never get, went against the law like that. But because his teaching was that you didn't have to get circumcised to know Christ, the Jews took that, these ones in particular, took this and created this whole storyline that Paul was talking against Moses. And you know, they love Moses, child. They be talking about the law of Moses, that, that he was talking against Moses. He was talk, telling people they ain't got to get circumcised. Y'all know Paul, he been going everywhere, telling everybody that we ain't got to get circumcised and telling them they ain't got to follow the law of Moses and they can do whatever they want to do out here, just telling people to wild out. And on top of that, I saw him that I, he even brought a Greek into the temple and that's not, a, not our temple, not even holy. He has defiled our holy place. Just exaggeration and lies. They saw Paul with the Greek Trophimus, Trophimus. They saw them with him and they assumed because they now saw Paul at the temple that he had taken him into the temple. Wasn't true. Didn't stop them from saying it. Didn't stop people from responding to the lies that were being said by the crowd. Let that be a lesson to you. Stop following the crowd and follow Christ. I don't know who that's for. We've stayed following the crowd. This is what they say. Stop following the crowd just because they speak the loudest, just because they have the largest platform, just because they have the biggest number of followers. Stop following the crowd Make sure you're following Christ because that's what these people are doing. They're following the crowd. They just, he just out here telling these lies, this group. And these are, <coughs> excuse me. These are Jews from the province of Asia who, by the way, have been following Paul throughout the book of Acts. He would go, he would preach in Lystra and people would come to know Christ and then they would threaten him. They would run him out of town and then he would leave town and we go to Derby and then he would preach there and they'd be like, all right, he ain't going to preach over there. We about to go over there too. And they would follow him. You know what I'm saying? They were, this was trolling before social media. They were grade A trollers. Okay. So this is not just some random group. This is a group of Jews from the province of Asia, which is present day Turkey that are causing this um, uproar and this riot, right? And so 
they're telling these people, they're telling, you know, this is what Paul is teaching. And so the elders are telling this to Paul and they're like, hey, people are going to find out you're here. And when they find out that you are here, then what are we going to do? Because this is what they're saying. And do you know there are thousands of Jews here that believe this? So what we so this is what we're gonna do. So what we gonna do? This is what we're gonna do. <laughs> they say, hey, we got these four guys here. They've entered into this vow. This is a Nazarite vow. You could take a Nazarite vow for lots of reasons. It would be at least a month long. You wouldn't do a Nazarite vow for less than a month long. What it means to do a Nazarite vow, what you can and can't do is um it is described in I want to say numbers. I could be wrong, but I want to say somewhere in the book of numbers. And basically you get into, you make this vow, you enter into this vow and, and the parameters of the vow, you're not going to drink anything made with grapes. You're not going to drink no wine. You're not going to do nothing unclean. You're not going to be around no unclean people. You're not going to shave. Um, you're not going to be having sex. You're not going to be, um, you can't do nothing that is going to make you ceremonially unclean. And so if this happens, then the vow starts all over. So let's say you decide to do this Nazareth vow for a year, 365 days. And then on day 364, um, you just mind your own business, walking your donkey, and then some dead body, you brush up against somebody and they are dead or something. I don't know. Something crazy like that, right? You somehow get touched by a woman who's on her period, something. Who knows? Now you're ceremonially unclean. Guess what? You got to do your vow all over. And so what they would do is those last seven days, they would stay in the temple. And they could um, allow somebody to come in the temple with them, like a person, if they were going to be willing to pay, because at the end of the vow, when the vow is open, um, you purify yourself, you do all these sacrifices. It's like a grain, sin, all these different type of offerings. You give a certain amount of money to, to the temple. Maybe it's like 50 shekels or something like that. Then when you do that, then you shave your head and now you're done right now. That is like marks the completion of the successful completion of your vow of your vow. And so they have these four men in town who are there. They're going to be at the temple for their time. And they're like, why don't we do that? And that whole thing, you know, it comes from numbers. That whole thing is Jewish custom. It was given by, it was, it's Jewish law. And so they're like, why don't you purify yourself and come hang out with these four guys during their seven days and then pay their expenses for them to complete their vow. So he's like, okay, that's fine. So he's doing that. That's what he's going to do. When the seven days are nearly over, the Jews from the province of Asia come to the scene. And now they see him coming from the temple. They do exactly what the elders were afraid they were going to do. They stir up. They're accusing him of all these false teachings. They're accusing him of defiling the temple with the Gentile, which by the way, that if you defile the temple, that is the, you get the death penalty for that. They're not just trying to have him arrested, just so we clear, okay? Saying that he, suggesting that he had a Jew, that he had a Greek in the temple in Jerusalem, that is punishable by death. 
The penalty for that is death, okay? They drag him out into the outer courts. They beat him. This is mob beating him. Then the commander hear about it. Side note, the Jews always causing a riot in these Roman um, controlled areas. And now, even though they're in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is currently under um, Roman control. And so there is a Roman commander there. There are centurions there. Those centurions, they each have a hundred, probably not really a hundred, but a hundred soldiers under each of them. And the person, the commander, whoever is um, placed there, they are charged with keeping the peace. And if you can't keep the peace on your corner and you a Roman soldier, you're going to be dead. Okay. They're going to kill you and replace you. All right. So they don't play. They're not about to have you out here in these streets acting a fool. Now they got this whole mob out there in the streets doing what? Acting a fool. There's a right. So somebody runs and tells the commander. The commander approaches with his army, with these military men, and they start to disperse. They stop beating Paul, and he breaks up the mob, breaks up the mob, and he handcuffs Paul. They try to figure out who is this man? Why y'all beat him? What's going on? And he can't get a clear answer. Some of them are shouting one thing. Some of them are shouting another. Seems like every right is this way. Why? Because it's typically a small group that's just yelling and getting people in an uproar. This mob mentality really happens. I see mob mentality happens a lot of times with social media. Something will happen and somebody will say a couple things and everybody will be on that. And nobody's really questioning, like, am I following the crowd or following Christ? That's what's happening here. That's what happens. And so he can't get a clear answer. So he picks him up. He's just going to take him to the barrack, which is like a prison, kind of, until he can figure out who he is. And so the crowd is shouting, um, get rid of him, depending on what translation you have, away with him. Again, this puts me in the mind of Jesus. When Paul said he was going to be like Christ, I mean, I guess my dude meant that. This, again, puts us in the minds of Christ. It is the Jews turning him over to Gentile, to the Gentiles to deal with, right? Um, which are the Romans, right? It's a non-Jewish nation. It's the Romans. And they are shouting for him to be killed. Away with him or rid of him. It's not saying take him away, like imprison him. That, for them, they are saying for him to be killed. Not just take him away. Get him out of here. Security, no. They want him to be killed. That's what that that's what that language they're using there. And so as they take him away, he asked the commander in Greek if he could speak. He didn't just say, Can I speak? That's why the man says, Oh, you speak Greek? So you say something to somebody in another language, they'd be like, Oh, you speak this? You're like, yeah, girl, I speak a little bit. That's what he's saying. He spoke to him in Greek. Can I speak to you? So then the commander's like, Oh, you speak Greek? Paul is so smart and strategic, man. He is speaking in Greek because he don't have no identification card. He don't have a social media um, presence. <laughs> he don't have a way to identify himself. But there are things that you can tell about a person by the way they speak and they carry themselves. He wasn't speaking broken Greek. He was speaking Greek, <clears throat> which revealed not only what am I not some rando, I speak Greek. I am highly educated which means I come from some stock. So I might come from some nobility. It's enough to make him wonder like, okay, let me just stop. 
Then he asked him if he was the Egyptian. So a while back, there was a revolt against the Roman control there in Jerusalem. Um, it was a group called like the Assassins or something like that, led by this Egyptian leader. There were, <coughs> excuse me, like thousands of people that were killed in that revolt, but the leader himself got away. So they still didn't know who the leader was. He got away. And he thought to himself, the commander thought to himself, these folks out here beating this man like this to a bloody pulp. He must be a real, he must be a real vile individual. He must be infamous. He must be somebody we've been looking for that they out there tagging him like this. And instead of wasting any time to defend himself and say who he wasn't, Paul answers, I'm a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no ordinary city. I'm not going to waste my time defending myself. I'm going to tell you who I am. And so after getting permission to speak, he hushed the crowd and he addresses them in Aramaic Hebrew. This is, maybe they spoke Greek. Maybe they spoke other languages too. But this is all so strategic. He's speaking to the Romans commander in Greek. So you recognize who I am. And he is, he is speaking to the Jews in the language of their heart, their heart's language, the language of everything they believed in, the language of um, the Old Testament. He's speaking to them in Hebrew, right? And then it stops. It's like a cliffhanger. And we're going to go on next week. But... What are some lessons? I pray this. Listen, I pray that you have been blessed, but we're not done yet. We just got to get through. It's not enough for us to understand the text. God has not given us a revelation and insight to understanding this text just so that we can understand what happened a long time ago. There are lessons. The revelation is so that we can get some instruction that we can apply to our life. There's a lesson that God wants you to apply. And I want to share. There were lots I want to share five of them with you before we close out. The first lesson, right? It's a cliffhanger. That's right. Drop a heart. Drop a heart if you already knew, okay, this is not going to go where I need it to go. There's no way she's going to finish. We're not going to know what Paul says. Drop a heart if you're like, dang, you watch a show sometimes and you can feel that cliffhanger coming. You knew I wasn't going to be able to give you the whole thing today. Um, go ahead and drop a little heart emoji. You're ready for these lessons. Even though I'm going to leave you with the cliffhanger, I won't leave you without any lessons, drop a little heart, drop a little something in this uh, in this chat, in the chat. Let me know you with me. Now listen, there are five lessons I'm going to share with 40 verses. You know there were many more lessons than that, but I'm only going to share five. Um, type them out, write them out. You want to get them. You want to be able to hold on to them. Lesson number one, which I'm going to show you how it, we can see this through the text. Understanding the impact of your purpose puts an end to wasting time. I'm going to say that again. Understanding the impact of your purpose puts an end to wasting time. 
if you understand what type of impact the purpose that God has created you for will have, you would stop wasting time. Some of you know what your purpose is. Some of you know what your assignment is, but you still lack understanding in how you're doing that assignment, completing that assignment, chasing that purpose, fulfilling it, staying on your post, doing the work that God has created you to do. You don't understand the impact God intends to have in the earth through what he's assigned to you. Because if you did, you would stop wasting time. If you knew that marriages would be saved, you would stop wasting time. If you understood the impact that the church and believers could have in every area that we experience in politics, in education, in finance, you would stop wasting time. If you understood that by healing women from trauma, that that would allow us to stand in our purpose as wives and nurturers and um servant leaders in the community, you would stop wasting time. If you knew how our how much longer we could live on this earth, if we had better health and, and healing, you health coach would stop wasting time. If you knew how many more years a person would have on this earth to be with their family, to pour into their family and into their community, you would stop wasting time. If you understood how having money in the kingdom would allow us to support kingdom business on the earth, you would stop wasting time and you would start leading people and teaching people how to be a good steward of their, of their money. If you understood the impact of your purpose, teaching people how to pray, that they would be able to war against hell in the only way that is possible, and that is through the spirit, by the spirit, we fight not against flesh and blood. If you understood the impact, then you wouldn't be sitting back wasting time and making excuses. We can see throughout the book of Acts that Paul, and through this chapter, understood the impact of getting to Jerusalem on time. He understood that it was going to do more than just provide food for Jerusalem. He understood that it was going to do more than just provide clothing and shelter for those who were living in Jerusalem. He understood the impact of getting those donations to Jerusalem by Pentecost because the Holy Spirit was leading him to Jerusalem with providing unity that would have a lasting impact on the church that we would that the enemy would no longer be able to use the thing that makes us different because the only thing that matters is the spirit of God that binds us so Paul understood the impact of his purpose is why he wasn't wasting time you got time to waste because you don't understand the impact of your purpose and the word of God says in all you're getting get understanding even if it costs you all you have, because the word is telling us that it's a lack of understanding that keeps us from doing the things that we've been called to do. It keeps us from staying on the post that we've been assigned to. Dennis saying, the second thing is that preparation is often the aim of revelations that are attached to your assignment. I'm going to say that again. 
it's for the sake of preparation that you get a revelation attached to your assignment. It's not meant for prevention. It's for the sake of preparation that you get a revelation attached to your assignment, not so that you can be prevented from doing something. They got this revelation. Paul got a revelation of what would happen to him as he went to Jerusalem. The disciples got a revelation about what would happen to Paul if he went to Jerusalem. The prophet got a revelation about what would happen to Paul if he went to Jerusalem. It wasn't meant to prevent him. It was meant to prepare him. You got, you got a revelation. God told you, the spirit of God said, it's going to be hard. It's not going to, that's not to prevent you from moving forward. It's to prepare you for what you will face. It's not to, you got a revelation around your assignment. I got a revelation around my assignment about leading wives and I could continue to see that as a result of my yes, my, my marriage was taking a hit. Y'all with me? That revelation, I could see. I'm saying yes to this thing, but every time I say yes to this, this is what happens. And it's prevented me from saying yes for years. God, I'm so glad about revelation. But when you get a revelation and understanding attached to your assignment, it's not to keep you from doing what the Holy Spirit has led you to do. It's to prepare you. Which brings me to my third lesson. Following the Holy Spirit may lead to hardships. It's not the enemy leading him to Jerusalem. It's not his ego leading him to Jerusalem. It's not the haters leading him to Jerusalem. It's not just some great strategy leading him to Jerusalem. He is following the Holy Spirit. And so what you need to see is following the Holy Spirit may lead to some hardships. You know that God called you to leave your job and now you're struggling to make ends meet. I used to call my friend and be like, girl, I got no money. I used to be crying. I don't understand why the Lord has forsaken me. I can't even, you know, put no groceries. I don't know how I'm going to pay this car payment. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Boo, boo, boo. Wah, wah, wah. You know, all of that. And she would ask me, how did you get here? And I would say, following the Lord. That's how I got here. Following the Lord. Okay. That, how you got following the Lord? Okay, well, if you got here by following him, you might want to keep following him. What you have to understand, sometimes we fight the thing that the Holy Spirit has brought to us. Following the Holy Spirit may lead to hardships. Brings me to my next point. Avoiding the pain may void the promise. So it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you. It's the Holy Spirit that's guiding you. It's the Holy Spirit that has led you to the wilderness like it led Jesus to the wilderness so that you can be tempted. It is the Holy Spirit that is leading you to Jerusalem. And every time you take a new step, a new step, a new step, you are saying to yourself, you can hear the Holy Spirit saying, oh, this is about to be difficult. Oh, you're going to run into some problems. You're going to have some rejection. You're going to have some opposition. It's going to be a demolition. It ain't going to work the way you thought it was going to work. 
you realize, okay, it's not the enemy that led me here. It's the Holy Spirit. I still have a choice. I still could choose to avoid the pain. But avoiding the pain may void the promise because there is some pain attached to the purpose. Crucifixion was attached to the cross. There is no resurrection. There's no salvation without the pain of the crucifixion. Do you understand? There is no salvation without the death. There was a pain. There was pain assigned to the purpose. So if I avoid the pain, I also void the perp the promise. God promised to save us. He from the beginning of time there would be a savior. If I avoid the pain that's attached to it, I will void out the promise. So you trying to avoid some things. You will. And the last thing I want to leave you with is that the enemy aims to kill. That's his aim. That's his end. The enemy aims to kill. He's not just trying to distract you, fool. He's not just, just trying to destroy you. He wants to end you. End the promise. He wants to end the purpose. He wants to end the life. He wants to end the dream. He doesn't just want to alter it. He's not just trying to get you to pivot. His aim is to kill you. Now he will take maim you, but his aim is to kill you. He will take in injuring you. He will accept that. Okay. I fired off a shot and it just injured her. Cool. But his aim is to kill. He, my dude's going for the kill shot. Okay, we see the enemies here. They're not just trying to stop Paul's message. They want to put an end to Paul's life. Permanently. When you start to recognize that the enemy understands your impact, the impact of the assignment, it's why he wants to end you. But you are here, la-di-da, not putting on the full armor of God, not getting in community, not getting filled up, not spending quiet time, not doing anything to fortify your spiritual equies, so to speak, because you think the enemy is playing. He not playing. This is not um, no contact. This full contact with the hopes of putting you down permanently both in this physical life and for eternity it's why he wants you to keep living like you live it's why he wants you to minimize the sin that equals death that's why he wants you to minimize that that's why he wants you to think that procrastination and, and perfectionism is cute but really what it is is willful disobedience you can look at Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 28, maybe it's chapter 14. Four, it's either chapter 28, verse 14, or it's chapter, no, it's chapter 28, verse 4, start at verse 14. You can see what the Lord is talking about doing disobedience. It's a sin. It's why he wants to give this gray, he wants to gray out some things, provide some confusion. Because when you're confused about the things of God, you can't live in the way 
and the will of God. That impacts where we will spend an eternity. When you think, well, it's okay, I love God, I'm a good person. I love God and I'm a good person. But you don't know Jesus. You think that's okay. It's because he wants to kill you. It's why he continues to say, oh, we're all under, you know, one God. Oh, it's just, we, it's all the same. It's different paths. To some people say this, some it's not, it's, it's not no different paths. It's a bunch of different paths to hell, but it's only one way to Christ. Okay. And I mean that respectfully. It's only one way to Christ. That's it. It's not a thousand ways. It's not a million ways. It's not no, oh, well, this is what we say. And it's, it's okay because we kind of the same. No, one way, friends. So if you don't know Christ, even if you're a good person and you understand that the enemy aims to kill you, <clears throat> then the only way to eternal life is through Jesus. I want you to say this prayer with me. Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I now accept him as my Lord and Savior. I accept the gift of salvation right now. Thank you, Father God, for forgiving me, for saving me, and for giving me eternal life with you. Amen. Listen. If you said it, you believe it, that settles it. I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. I'm just talking about what the word says. If you should call on the name of Jesus, you would not perish, right? I want to welcome you. Welcome to the family. Welcome, fam. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I would love to connect with you. If um, you've said that prayer for the first time, and, um, you know, you want to be in community. First of all, you need to be in community. It is about an individual relationship, but we are not meant to do it in isolation. Send us an email at praise at boldfacechurch.org. We want to get some resources in your hand. We want to help you get connected to so somebody from the care team. We'll reach out to you. Maybe you are coming back. Maybe you're returning. You're like, I've really been tripping, tripping. I realized that my growth has been stunning. I realized I've been wilding out, but it's time for me to come back home. And um, you rededicated your life to Christ. You're making that decision right now. I'd love to hear from you as well. Praise at boldfaithchurch.org. Um, I would love to see you, love to connect with you. Um, but listen, we're not done. We are not done. Y'all know that this is the time that we put community in Bold Faith Community Church. We are getting together to have a conversation, some discussion. Let's make a plan, some application. Let's connect. Let's build community. Let's be the church. Get in a community of women where you can be your honest, authentic self. Be right where you are in this, um, this walk with Christ. We are all in different uh, spots in this journey. And it's a beautiful thing to be amongst women who may have been where you were, uh, may have been where you are. And, and it's a beautiful thing to be in a space where you can pour into women who are where you used to be. Do you know what I mean? This is what the church is supposed to look like. And I'm trying to tell you, the women that show up for this call, they legit. I mean, I'm just trying. I, I ain't trying to brag. 
but they are legit the best women on the planet. And that's just, I'm just keeping it 100. Realest group you'll ever see. Realest group. And I'm telling you, real. Not faking it. And you know why? Because they Bible studiers. <laughs> it's amazing the freedom that you have to, um, you know, really show up as your self. It's amazing um, how beautiful it is to just be able to show up as yourself in the space while the Lord is growing you. That's an amazing thing. I'm going to put this in the chat right here. I typically do not, but I'm going to post this. If you want, if you are a lady and you want to join us in the chat, whether you're watching us on YouTube or any place else, I've dropped the Zoom link so you can join us. We'll meet for about an hour to discuss and share. Now, listen, if you have absolutely loved this, before we move on, be sure to like this video. If you haven't liked this video on YouTube, be sure to subscribe. Think about who you might share this video with. And you can head on over to boldfaithchurch.org to give tithes and offering if you want to help us to spread more messages like this to reach more women. You can support us by making a donation. We cannot do this work without y'all. All right, I love y'all. Thank you as always for joining us, for being here, spending your Saturday morning with us. We absolutely love it. We hope you were blessed and we hope you show up to the call because we're about to get into it right now. All right, I love y'all. What is If this episode has blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else so that you too can be a blessing. If you'd like to connect with us and help us to do the work that God has called us to do, you can give at boldfaithchurch.org. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at boldfaithchurch and connect with me at Courage Molina. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch the next episode right here.